you know, when you, when you think about a slowdown or you think about a possible recession and you try to defend yourself in that sense or you prepare for it, I think you, you do what you've always done well and maybe better those things. And, and then that's when you can really look at the things that you're not doing so well and can see if, you, if there's room for improvement or the things you don't need to do anymore. Welcome to the Get Wired Podcast, presented by CED Vero Beach. Join us as we make new connections, share our outlooks on business as well as life, and provide a new look at the wholesale electrical supply industry from the inside out. This is the Get Wired Podcast. Here's your host, Mike Burkhardt. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a, an amazing episode today with another part of our Dan Byers series. So uh, today, you know, we're talking about an economic slowdown or recession, but we don't have a crystal ball. I want to be very clear about this. We see it on the news. Everyone's talking about how there could be a, an economic slowdown or there could be a recession next year, 2020. It's an election year. There's a lot going on in the world right now. But guess what? There's always a lot going on in the world. So I don't want this to be a doom and gloom episode. I just want people to understand that you have to you have to prepare for the worst while expecting the best to still happen. So this is just an idea episode just to get out there and to uh, to make sure that you're thinking about making the right moves for your business moving forward into 2020 because it has been an awfully long time since we've had an economic slowdown. So without further ado, here's Dan Byers. So let's kick it off, I guess. Yeah, welcome uh, back, Dan. Thanks for coming back to the Get Wire podcast. Appreciate you being back on for another episode. In a new back on. It's a lot of fun. New location this time. I don't know if you ever recorded from this place. I have not recorded from the Galita location yet. No, this is my first time. So. Live from Galita. Live from Galita. Yeah. I like so, it. And we're gonna. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun little space out here. We have a we have a good little clientele base, and we're building it. And it's just a great place to come out and do some good meetings, and not be in the hectic day of the Santa Barbara lifestyle, but be a little bit more relaxed out here. So. I hear you. That's why I love that our conference room slash break room slash podcast studio is upstairs and it's just kind of like disconnected a little bit and yeah, insulated. There's no phones. There's no, I thought about getting like the live feed of the cameras on the TV, but even that would be like, Ooh, they're getting run over at the counter. I should go down and help. But, um, you know, it's, I think it's a nice, it's nice to have a nice space where you can kind of just relax and detach. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what works for us in Galita because again, we're not in the downtown location, so our contractors also feel like they're not being pulled. Right. You know, go get something or respond to a call or like, oh, I have to go get this material now. So, uh, not that they can't pick up material out here, they can. But I've noticed when they get out to this location and it, we're you know it's three o'clock in the afternoon, it's meeting time, they can really shut off. Yeah. Not work. So, a little more relaxed atmosphere. A little more relaxed. So it's good. It's good. Well, today's topic, I think, is a good one. Um, you'd mentioned you, you just got back from a division meeting where you guys were already talking about, um, you know, preparing for maybe not a recession, but like an economic slowdown, certainly like a market turnaround. Um, and that's something that's been on my mind for a while. We are grossly overdue for one. Um, I, I've been doing some research on it this morning. The average recession happens every uh, seven or eight years in the United States. The last one started December 2007. And actually ended June of 2009, which I think a lot of people will find surprising that it was right. officially over in June 2009. Um, I'd say some people would say it still hasn't recovered 100%. Yeah. Um, so, so from your research, what are they actually, what's the, what's the qualification for a recession and what's the qualification for coming out of a recession? I know there's some benchmarks. Uh, you know, that's one thing that didn't, I didn't specifically research that and I probably should have. Um, yeah. I might actually Maybe go. So. 
Add that in later. Add that in later. Yeah, I'll have a great answer for you later. Um, <laughs> well, you see, Dan, what happens is. <laughs> oh, I know it, it definitely has something to do with our GDP. Yes. Uh, percentage in regards to unemployment and you know goods being offered and goods being sold. So. So this is the part where I jump back in after we're off the call, and I, I give you the definition of a recession in America. So. It is a period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activity are reduced, generally identified by a fall in GDP, gross domestic product, in two successive quarters. So uh, Dan was pretty much spot on. Back to the show. Well, so what does what is interesting, and this came up at one of our, um, I can't remember where exactly I heard this, but... Um, Maybe it was a division meeting, but not only like new house starts, everybody looks at that and new permits pulled and all that. But one interesting indicator is um, is the unemployment rate bottoms mm-hmm. out right before a recession. So and that's mm-hmm. that's where we are, right? Like an all time low three point six percent unemployment rate. And if you look at yeah. the chart from the Fed, if you just Google, um, I think it's FRED, Federal Reserve, um, whatever ED stands for, and uh, Economic Department probably and. Maybe. It's interesting because they have the bars where the recession is taking place, and then they, right before the um, the unemployment just completely goes to the bottom and then skyrockets through the recession. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah. not something that I would I wouldn't think that would make a lot of sense. Um, well, I think it's because you know, from what I can from what I can tell, this happened in Santa Barbara, obviously, you know, happened across the country in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. But we were definitely at an all-time low back then in regards to being able to hire people. I mean, there was just no one on the street that you could hire that was worth anything. Yeah. I always tell people, like, you know, if this if somebody's looking for a job, there's a reason why they're looking for a job in this type of economy because everybody is hiring at this point unless you're just not good at what you do right. on any level. And we're at that point now. I mean, Santa Barbara last month, I want to say, was 2.1%. Wow. So, and the county was 2.2%. So, I mean, again, it's, you know... Yeah, we're not. We're we're we're, we're scraping to get people, and the people are obviously in a position of if they've got a job, they're in a better position to ask for raises and things of that nature. Yeah, uh, because you don't want to lose them because you're not going to be able to replace them. So, but I did notice that in 2008, 2007, 2008, that you know we had this really low unemployment rate, and then like you know that was that was our you know, circumstances with banking and financing and mortgages and all that everything. Yeah. And this is more of a, a real recession, I think, where it's not inflated by anything. It's just, you know, we're not going to have a crash of a market, per se. We're going to have probably a slowdown. Yeah, and that's, um, I think this is going to be an interesting episode because I think the majority of our listeners probably either were just coming up through CED or weren't even part of CED when the last recession took place. I got hired uh, January 2010. And mm-hmm. I remember going to division meetings and people, I just got this new job and I was really excited. And I go to these division meetings and it was like, doom and gloom like everyone was like oh the way it was in 2006 and no 2007 we were doing this much and yeah and then now we're, it was just like how are we going to survive and i remember thinking like wow this is crazy like what did i miss because if you're not in an industry that was impacted by it or if you were in college at that time right like you really don't know exactly what happened or what it was like and um and certainly how our industry was impacted so i'm really glad that uh, got this opportunity to inter- interview you about it because obviously yeah. you went through that yeah, and I think you know, for, from from a CD model, 
it definitely impacted a lot of profit centers because of the way we operate with profit sharing. Hmm. So, I mean, a lot of guys up in that 2004, 2005, 2006, and I would tell you the same thing. Our, our year 2007 was probably one of the best years we had. Yeah. And it was just like, no one was questioning price. Everybody's just like, we just got to get it done. Just get it here. Just get it done. And it was like, yeah, you know, it's like, you're just rolling sevens all day long. <laughs> and invariably, you know, the odds are going to be against you and, and we saw that in Santa Barbara, probably not to the degree of the rest of the country, but we definitely felt it. Um, and I think a lot of the profit centers that weren't looking ahead um, probably really felt it really bad. And you see a 30, 40, 45 percent drop in business. Um, there goes basically all your profit sharing. So yeah. I think that's why that meeting you were at, you saw a lot of doom and gloom because a lot of people in the room probably went from making profit sharing to not making profit sharing. Oh, yeah. Um, the first time in their careers. So it's a scary time. And I could tell just that it was a serious matter. And I also knew that I was very grossly unprepared to, to understand the implications of it. And, and I think we're at that time now, at least in Bureau, like no one's questioning prices. Everyone's just like fly it in UPS red. I'll just pay for it, whatever. Uh, we're right. Just trying to get jobs done and closed out. And yeah, I mean, I'm getting this, this feeling that like, man, and you hear it on the news, everyone's talking about it. Like you know, early next year, it's an election year. Yep. tariffs with China. Maybe it's not yep. going to be a housing crisis like it was last time. And and I think we're really good at putting band-aids on situations. Like we had a the the what was it the savings and loan crisis. We fixed that. We had yep. the dot com bust. We fixed that. Um, we had the uh, the of course the mortgage crisis the, of of two thousand seven two thousand eight of these toxic yep. inflated mortgages. We fixed that sort of, but now they're getting back to those same tactics and and yeah, know, what are they it's through a different channel? Yeah, what do they call them? Like extra resourceful lending habits or something like that? Like, <laughs> like yeah, they have all kinds of great names for them. <laughs> it's very similar, but they can't call it the same package they called it back in two thousand seven because those are illegal because of Frank Dobbs and all that stuff. Right. Um, and so everyone's curious, like, what's the next one going to be? And I've heard speculation that maybe it's going to be a student loan default crisis. You know, we have trillions of dollars in student loan and the default rates getting higher and higher every year. Um, people coming out of school with hundreds of thousands of debt can't pay it back. It's it's one of those things that you can go bankrupt, you can lose your business, you can lose your house, you can lose your car, but you still have student debt. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. And, and we I, have kids in college right now, so there you go. <laughs> how many kids? I got two, actually, in college. Oh, wow. But luckily for me... Uh, my oldest, this is his last year at Long Beach State, and he spent his first couple of years at our local city college, That's which what I was did. a lot less expensive. And then my daughter, who's at our city college now, um, she's on the Promise program there. So if you graduated locally and you keep a full load and a, better than a 3.0 average, they actually pay for all your city college. Wow. So your parking, your books, everything is covered. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and they're ranked the number one junior college in the nation right now. That's so really crazy. Really great, great faculty out there it's, it's an amazing campus huh. so yeah and they offer what they call transfers for either uc or um, cal states so if you go through the strict certain curriculum that fits just about everybody you can get pretty much an automatic transfer into a uc college or into a cal state college huh. um, very so they accept those guys all the time that's how my son got into long beach was because he came out of the city college with his aa and it was accepted at three locations, and Long Beach is the one he wanted to go to for his major. So that's amazing. Yeah, it saves me a ton of money when I don't have to pay for those first two years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, you know, I did the same thing. I moved to Florida, didn't have uh, in-state residency yet. And while I was working to establish in-state residency, I went to uh, Valencia Community College, which is 
right down the street from UCF, and it was kind of a feeder school. It was a, it was mm-hmm. a, you know, if you got above a B or something like that, you were automatically in UCF. So, right. and by that point, I had in-state, like, so I came out of college relatively unscathed and, you know, had savings built up and paid for it as I went kind of thing. And, but I know people that are in, you know, hundred twenty, $150,000 of debt that have the same degree I have. And it's like, yeah, the math on that isn't very good, you know? No. Um, and, and when you have an economy where there's, you know, very little job available, I mean, now all of a sudden you come out of college with all this debt, you can't find a job. Yeah. And you're like at Starbucks <laughs> making coffee. It just gets pushed to the wayside. It's the yeah. last thing that people pay. Um, but so let's talk about your experience in 2000. Let's start in 2006, 2007. Yeah, I had just, when I took over the Santa Barbara office. So, um, so that was basically, I, you know, 2006 was a, was a really good year for us. And I was still finding my feet. And then 2007, we, were, we had a still a very strong year, but we could see it, you know, coming throughout other parts of the country. So when 2008 hit, um, that's when we felt the, the real brunt of it. Now we didn't, like, again, Santa Barbara was a little bit more isolated. So I think we might have seen a 16 to 18% drop in overall revenue. Oh. So it wasn't huge like some of the other parts of the country were, you know, but it still affected us. Um, and, you know, to the point where some of the decision making I did at that time was probably very, you know, new manager style, um, you know, decision making, you know, and. So I, I got to learn a lot from that process and be more proactive in my decision-making after that recession and less reactive. Um, and I really reacted a lot to, the, to, the, to that part of the recession. We did some things in Santa Barbara a little differently. Um, I didn't want to lose employees. Yeah. So because I knew that hard, good employees are hard to find. I think there was one or two employees that, you know, we ended up letting go just because they weren't, they weren't going to help us move the needle even in a recession. All right. One, one ended up quitting on his own. Um, the other one, basically, we just knew that wasn't going to work out. But the other staff, I wanted to keep on. And, you know, I was very transparent with where we were and, and how we were doing and how that was going to affect everybody's paycheck and profit sharing. And, you know, so kind of I, I wanted to make sure everybody knew that business was not as normal and that, you know, we're going to get through it, but we have to do it together as a team. Nice. Uh, so, and you know, and it worked out. I got to keep basically all my A players and my staff. For many years after that so um i think it paid off doing that um, but it was one of those things where you know in hindsight you know i had a lot of people telling me oh you should you know you got to reduce your staff you got to reduce your expenses and i tend to look at my gnl and go you know we, we do a pretty good job i said we, so when we have these dips it's for me it's not a it's not an expense problem we're not spending too much we're not selling enough we're not making enough right so it's a sales problem in my mind more than it is an expense problem so a lot of your expenses are fixed, trucks, freight, things of that nature, your rent. Rent, yeah. Those things don't go down in a recession. <laughs> you might be able to renegotiate your lease to some degree. Yeah. But why, you know, property is such a valuable commodity for people is because it basically stays steady through a recession, you know, especially commercial building. They're not going to, you know, people might go out of business, but that commercial building is still going to be about what it's worth per square foot. Uh, might drop a little bit, but then those guys can take the tax advantages if it's not filled either. Right. <laughs> so they win-win on both areas of the way. So, you know, so that, so we, yeah, we, we did pretty well. And like in Santa Barbara, mostly high-end residential. Um, it's amazing how, you know, in this slowdown that's possibly coming, it's the same thing. I, I talked to a couple different analytic people and people in financing, and they said they got a lot of big projects that are now put on hold. Because these guys are actually hoping there's going to be a recession or slowdown, so they get more bang for their buck. 
Yeah. They're actually projecting these big capital improvements they want to do and going, wait a minute, now's not the time to do it because it's going to be more expensive. If we wait six months to a year, you know, we might be able to pick up 20 points, you know, because it's going to be less expensive because people are going to be more, more desperate or prices are going to go down or, you know, things of that nature. But, so, you know, I've heard that too. And there's speculation on, on uh, investors and things like that of, of investing in real estate or, you know, investing in their businesses, things of that nature. But yeah. like, what's the cost of being wrong in that situation? Like if you, if you misjudge it by a year or, if it just never happens, I mean, that 20%, what's the opportunity cost of like not finishing that project or, or starting that project and being a year behind or building that building that could make you revenue or yeah. buying that house that you could rent out or whatever the situation is. Um, there's an opportunity cost obviously associated with waiting a whole year um, sitting on your money. But, yeah, you know, um, certainly cash is always good to have in a recession. That's for sure. So if you could wait, it is. it's just trying to time. And people have been saying it's we're overdue for Geez, over like three or four years now. Um, yeah. And again, Santa Barbara's a little different. It takes a lot longer to get things built. I mean, average, I mean, you're probably looking at seven to eight years to get a project done. Um, there's a hotel that is right around the corner from us that's been on the blocks for five years, and they probably got at least another three years before they can get through all the red tape. Wow. So they bought the property. They've invested in the property. There's still people leasing the buildings that are there, but they want to knock it down and build a hotel. And it'll be eight years before they break ground. And then you got another 18 to two years of 18 months to two years of actual construction. So for them to hold off another six months, yeah, it's not big of a deal, you know, to see what happens. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, and that's how long it takes things to get done time sometimes in Santa Barbara. I mean, it's a, it's a long term, you know, planning area here and you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get something built. But when you do, and then you're in Santa Barbara and you got a great piece of property and, you know, people will spend 1500 bucks a night to come stay in your hotel. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so what's what would you say is uh, CED's kind of mentality on, based on your division when you just came out of, uh, on preparing for a recession or a turn, or a turn down in business? Well, it was interesting because it was, it, was, it was a roundtable discussion. And we kind of went from table to table for different topics. But this topic was probably one of my favorite topics. And there was seasoned managers there that had been there in business as long as me and a couple of newer managers who hadn't seen a recession before. Um, and, and everybody kind of had a little different thing to talk about, but it seemed as if the, the older guys in the room tended to be more of what we need to you know, reduce our expenses. Mm -hmm. We need to look at, you know, how we're spending our money. We need to look at our employment costs. How do we reduce those? Um, some of the younger guys who hadn't been through one were just like, well, you know, I, that's when you look for opportunities, <laughs> you know, you, you, yeah. and you do. And I think that's the best way is to look for those opportunities because somebody's going to be spending money in their recession because they can they can obviously everybody somebody's making money in a recession yeah. right so the rich are always getting richer somehow <laughs> so even in a recession they're doing something and you have to find that and there was one manager who said they actually pivoted extremely you know during that recession and ended up picking up one of their best clients that they still have today that's probably one of their, one of their clients and they would have never gone after that guy had there not not been the recession huh. It opened up a door for them to change their, they were a industrial commercial and kind of went into an agricultural system. And the next thing you know, they hooked up with a couple of these companies that were booming for whatever reason through the recession and they still have them today. Well, well, not all sectors are tied to an economic downturn, like something like ag or industrial or defense, things of that nature, like are going to yeah. keep happening no matter what. Um, right. I mean, I love the idea of turning problems into opportunities, like just replacing that word in your head of like, 
it's a situation. It's a problem if you look at it that way. It's an opportunity if you look at it the other way. The situation's right. the same either way. Um, yeah. But I, I also am a big believer in like CED. Our business model is so great because we're to use another metaphor, like instead of being like a cruise ship, like a gray bar or a city or something like that, where it's this giant boat just being pushed from corporate, we're more like, you know, either cigarette boats or jet skis, like just zooming around the water and we can turn and go the other direction at any, any right. given moment. Um, yeah. Because there's not anybody we have to really have to ask. Like it's, you're, you're talking to the, I'm talking to the main guy at Santa Barbara and you're talking to the main guy in Bureau and exactly. We decide to go in a new direction, whether it's a different industry to go after or, uh, you know, cutting costs in terms of, you know, unfortunately it might be employees or of things of that or of, you know, bu- buildings or vehicles or anything like that. Like we get to make the decision on that. I think that's right. really important. It is. And it gives us, gives us a lot of flexibility, but it also gives us a lot of responsibility to make sure we're doing those right decisions and yes. not shooting ourselves in the foot just to get through 18 months of a possible recession and not being prepared for coming out of it. And, you know, so I, I'm a service oriented guy. So, you know, it doesn't matter if there's a recession or not. I'm always looking for ways to give my customers more and more and more so that when there is a recession, who are they going to turn to? They're going to only turn to me. They're not going to turn to my competition. Right. And price, even in a recession sometimes, is not the number one factor a lot of these guys deal with. It's how they can get their jobs done faster and better and quicker. Right. Um, that's how they make their money. So, um, you know, when I look back and I talk to some other managers, the guys that got hurt the worst, I think, were the guys that had those two or three customers that were basically 80% of their business. Mm. And if the, one of those guys go under, and a lot of it happens with these bigger companies, they can they can they can weather the storm maybe, but if they're not bidding, you know, and I have a large contractor right now who basically hasn't bid in a year, you know, and we don't do a lot of business with them. But when I talk to him, he goes, "Yeah, we stopped bidding." And all of a sudden, now they're bidding, they're bidding again, they're bidding again because they don't have any jobs, they don't have any backlog. Yeah. And now they're coming into a possible slowdown with that backlog. You know, whoever servicing that guy, you know, getting the lion's share of his business is probably going to see a huge dip in his business. Mm, yeah. So I'm not sure if you heard, it was right near Prime Day where FedEx actually fired Amazon. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a billion dollar a year contract. But, you know, from FedEx's point, it only represents about a percent, one percent of their overall revenue. Mm-hmm. And they figured better to do it now before Amazon becomes 10% of their revenue. Because <laughs> like, right now, Amazon's probably 15% of what UPS does in yeah. a year. Yeah. So if, they, so if UPS loses that, that's a huge marker for them to fill. Where FedEx is like, you know, we're not, we're not going to go down that road because you're going to become a competition in two or three years. And we want to help you be our competition in three years. And we're going to get out now and make money servicing smaller you know, people that we can make more margin on. It was also, yeah, very, very low margin from what I understood. Um, very might low, have been a billion yeah. dollars, but they probably made, you know, nine hundred and ninety million or something. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, when not, they went back to paying the expenses to to do that because we just had a my very first Prime delivery here today at CD. The guy pulled up in a Prime, you know, oh, really? the high top, you know, Dodge or Mercedes or whatever, just like a FedEx, but wrapped in Prime, and uh-huh. the guy jumped out wearing an Amazon shirt. But you know, they're independent contractors and. Uh, Right. It's definitely going to change the landscape of that as well. But I think that's a smart move to look at your clientele and say, who's profitable? Who do I really want to go into this with? And um, you know, something I heard a long time ago, I don't remember who said it, but it's like find customers and employees and vendors that you want to get in trouble with. And I was like, what do you mean? Right. And he's like, when things get wrong, go wrong and you get in trouble, like, who do you want to be surrounded by? Are they, like good people 
that are there for the right reasons or customers that that are quite frankly a pain in the ass even when the economy is going well do you really want to deal with them when things aren't going well are they, right <laughs> even if you do make some money on them now or do you want to deal with people that are like good you can tell they're good people they're trying to do things for the right reasons um they let you yeah. make money you know you, your partners in their business they're not just you're not just some supplier off the street um, yeah and that always stuck with me like find people you want to get in trouble with and yeah I mean, the other thing, too, I remember it was probably my first year um, during that recession, that 2007, 2008 year. I had a credit manager named Tom Catullo, who was probably one of our senior credit managers in the business. He came over with AMFAT. Hmm. And, you know, he always did a very good job of helping me maintain our receivables. And so we averaged probably 40 to 41 days in our receivables. We have very few customers, if any, that go out beyond 60 days. I've got maybe one or two. But those are the ones that says those are the ones you have to be careful. The guys that are stretching you 60, 90 days when times are good. Yeah. Times are bad. So you should be looking at your customer base, not only seeing who you want to do business with, but those guys who are paying you, you know, taking longer to pay you, even on jobs, maybe are not managing their money very well. And when it, when the recession comes, or if it comes, or if a slowdown comes, then you're just going to be seeing that stuff get stretched out 120 days. Yeah. When, and when do you cut the ties with somebody like that and say, you know, boom. And now we're coming into our last quarter. We're coming into collection quarter where everybody's trying to get their money. Yeah. And, you know, you're, we're going to, I think there's going to be some, you know, industries, but definitely in the distribution world, our world, there's going to be some places that are going to get hurt um, with people either not being able to pay them by the end of the year or just literally going out of business. Um, yeah. I've seen, we, we had a top 10 account that is pushing the edge of, of not making it past this year. And it's like, Makes you kind of wonder, like, what is going on? You know, like, if this is the best economy the world's ever seen that we're living in right now, 2019, uh, September 2019 is like literally supposed to be the best economy in the whole planet ever. Then, what what is going on that this person isn't able to be profitable and stay on top of things? And sometimes you got to look deeper and like, you know, start looking at their Facebook page and like, <laughs> like, where are they going? Where's their wife going? What are they spending right. their money on? Yeah, exactly. um, you know, think just making sure that the money's the money that they're they're borrowing from you to go buy material. They're buying get they're borrowing material, but it's basically money. Uh, right. It's going to the jobs, and they're taking that money from the jobs and paying you back. I mean, that's sounds so basic and rudimentary, but are they doing the basic steps that uphold their end of the deal? Right. Or are they seeing all this money coming in and just being like, oh my gosh, I have two hundred thousand dollars. I've never mind the fact that you owe CD 185,000 of that. You know, I have $200,000. Like, no, you have $15,000. Do some basic math here. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these guys aren't the best. They're, they're great, great electricians, great <laughs> people in the field. But when it comes to actually managing their books and understanding the yeah. ins and outs, it's amazing. Um, and I think they should probably teach a lot of financial stuff when they get, when they go for their contractor's license. Cause it seems like a lot of these guys don't understand that. Um, there is so, something that they do teach, some sort of business class. And, they, and in Florida, at least, they make you have $10,000 in an account for six months. I don't know if that's nationwide or... Um, I, I don't know about that in California. That'd be, that's not, that wouldn't be enough in California, but hey. Yeah, it's something, though. Like, they make <laughs> you make you make sure it's set aside for six months that you can't touch it in a separate account. Right. And then uh, that's like your your base for, for starting your own business. But Yeah. You know, when you, when you think about a slowdown or you think about a possible recession and you try to defend yourself in that sense or you prepare for it i think you, you do what you've always done well and maybe better those things and and then that's when you can really look at the things that you're not doing so well and can see if you if there's room for improvement or it's the things you don't need to do anymore um 
you know, it's like one, I know a location that basically doesn't do deliveries anymore um, because the delivery service they had wasn't really needed. And they were trying to expand their market farther and farther. So they kept driving farther and farther to service more and more people, but the sales weren't there. Yeah. You know? And so all of a sudden it's like, well, if we can get rid of the, you know, they keep a truck for its emergency deliveries, but they basically just do counter business for the most part in project directs. And it's amazing how much more profitable they are now because they took away a piece that they weren't doing well and their market really didn't need. Hmm. So we always feel, oh, we have to deliver. We have to have this. We have to have that. Maybe you don't. Um, so, you know, unless we really look at our business and see what things that we can live without and our customers really don't need, um, you know, it's like an outside sales guy sometimes. It's just like, a lot of offices that don't have outside salespeople. Yeah. And inside salesperson is their main contact and the people they want to deal with all the time and gets the most, gets the most work done. We're in that so, situation now. Yeah, it's like so. All of a sudden, you start thinking to yourself, "Well, do I really need an outside sales position?" Just because the industry seems to have them doesn't mean you have to have them as a PC manager. You got to do what's best for your office. Yeah. So, and inventory is a big one too. I mean, that was one thing I remember even even going back, like, geez, like nine or ten, eight or nine years is to those meetings in 2010, 11, and 12 when I was a trainee. Is um, they said like your your competition in every single market is feeling a lot of pressure from the top to, to lower inventory, to reduce costs, to, you know, close, they like city will just close buildings. Like, uh, yeah. and Rexel, same thing. I think they closed 11 on the East coast and overnight. Um, and that was in like 2013 or something like that. It was like out of the blue, but the CD obviously doesn't do that. We give the managers the power to, to make the decisions that make sense in their market. Um, but they were all dropping their inventory like crazy, like just like half quarter of their inventory, just whatever's on the shelf is whatever's left. Right. Um, and my management at the division level was saying, do the opposite, you know, like yep. put, put more stuff on the shelf. Don't cut your inventory. Um, whatever they're taking off their shelf, they like, try to guess what their the dollar amount is and put that a dollar amount back on your shelf. Um, right. Because that material needs to be sold in that market at some point And whoever's got it's going to win that order. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, again, that's servicing the customer, understanding what the customer wants and us being flexible to say, hey, we can up our inventory. We don't have to decline it. And, and the overall cost of your inventory is really not that big to your bottom line at all. Yeah. You know, when you start looking at, you know, remember Spike Evans and his training, you know, it's like, what's the most effective 1% cutting your inventory by 1% or increasing your sales by 1%. Increasing your sales by 1% definitely does a lot better for your office than decreasing your inventory by 1%. Yeah. But again, if you don't have it, like you said, the customer's going to be driven somewhere else. And now some you've lost that sale plus any of the future sales that might go with it. So, yeah, this, you know, it's a good time to also, you know, start looking at those vendors that you're dealing with because, you know, during that recession, how many, how many people back in 2008, 2007 distributors of life, whether it was plumbing or not, either went out of business or had problems paying their bills. You can talk to any manufacturer or vendor we deal with. CED never missed a bill. No. <laughs> any of that, you know, and that's what vendors want, right? That's what manufacturers want. They want to get paid also. Yeah. So we're a very strong organization so that we are better for those people in some times of downturn because they know they're going to get paid, you know, through whatever it is. We're going to we're going to do what's right. And so they want to hook their cart to our horse. That's so true. That's a really good point. You got a good opportunity sometimes when things aren't going so well, like the, who do you want to go to business with? Who, who do you want your customer to be? And who do you want your vendors to be? It could be a really good time for some TCs to get that vendor on board they've had problems with because their competition is not going to support that vendor maybe going forward or is having problems paying them. Should help you take a few more orders off the street. You know, if it's discretionary business the vendor has and it's a big project and it's like, 
you know, who do they want to give it to? Somebody they know is going to pay them in six months or somebody that may or may not even be open in six months. Exactly. I mean, exactly. like literally when I first moved to Vero, um, there was only K&M and us. And the reason it was only that is because Rexel had already closed and City had just closed like two months before I got here. And it was a huge opportunity. Like that's why our sales just like we doubled, tripled sales because I just saw this opportunity of like, wait, they just closed? Like how long ago? Yeah. Okay, uh, let's let's <laughs> get out and see all the customers. Let's double the inventory. Let's get the right inventory in here. Let's get rid of a bunch of crap. And um, that's just one of the reasons why we did so well in the first couple of years of me being here was uh, simply that the market was still there for a lot of business, and two half the distributors just quit, just boarded up and left. And the business was still there. It's like someone's gonna have to pick that up, and I don't think K and M's gonna do it. Let's go get it. Yeah. Is, do you uh, did you ever figure out why? Those guys boarded up. I mean, was it? I can understand why Rexel maybe looking at particular numbers, not meeting certain numbers, and closing an office regardless, just because it's not making its mark. But um, that seems kind of weird. <laughs> I think that people were really scared that it was just you know we that was the whole double dip recession going on about that time, and people were. I think that was an election year. No, two thousand twelve would have been the election year. That's what, actually when I moved here. So there was still some uncertainty in in, um, in the air, but. Yeah, I don't know. I was never privy to those meetings. City has since come back, and they do pretty well. They're on the south side of town. We're on the north side of town. Um, they've taken more of K&M's business. It was like a six-store, pretty much, you know, privately held company. Um, and then Rexel has an office in Melbourne that does really well and an office in Stewart. So I think they kind of feel like they can pinch Vero geographically. Right. It's about an hour in either direction. Um, but I don't know exactly why they did it. I think they, they missed a huge opportunity. They were doing... I've heard reports of over $10 million in, at the Rexel store and losing money. Wow. So and losing money and losing money. So <laughs> just cause you're doing a lot in sales doesn't mean you're actually taking any home. So the revenue does not equal profit. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole back end of the business that you gotta, you gotta look out for. And, um, this is, this is true. I've always said Vero is a very special place. Like I think it's kind of like Santa Barbara. We're very insulated from the rest of the uh, country in terms of, recession obviously not hurricanes we can get wiped out in an afternoon but um we're very have a very affluent population that lives on the island and it drives a lot of the economy um that is on the our side of the bridge and then we also have these huge pockets of industry mixed with wide open land so like real estate's pretty cheap here in comparison to like south florida a lot of people when they move here are coming to vero coming to port st Lucie, coming to port pierce um sebastian so we're seeing this confluence of events of, of high-end um, residential, just regular residential, nice industry, commercial support, all those organizations. Like, it's just, yeah, it's a great time to be in Vero. And, and honestly, like, even if I feel pretty ready for whatever's coming our way, we're just going to react to it the way that we always would generally without fear or hesitation, but just try to do the right thing for, for the right people. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it doesn't really change your strategy too much. <laughs> At least it hasn't mine so far. I guess and I'm 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 looking at doing more for my customers, not less at this point. Um, just so I yeah. can really lock up, you know. And it's just simple things. It's like making sure there's water in the lobby. Yeah. You know, it's just like you said. You guys have barbecues on Fridays, whatever. It's simple things like that goes a long ways. Every Friday. Yeah. And those tend to be the things that people will cut out very quickly, you know, because oh look at the cost involved with that. Every Friday having a barbecue, it's a hundred fifty bucks. We can save six hundred bucks a month if we cut out that cut out those barbecues and then yeah. all of a sudden you just, you know, cut out a bunch of customers too. And, you know, and that was the one place they could go once a week and maybe get a free meal you yeah. know, and, and pick up some parts. So 
you know, donuts seem to, oh, get rid of the donuts. Don't bring donuts anymore. Don't do this anymore. It's like, there's there's difference between scaling back and being scared. Well, I think, I think it's, it's, it seems like a lot of money until you do the math, right? If it's a hundred bucks, it really is averages about a hundred bucks and vendors support half of that through our, our vendor of the month program. Right. So, but even if it is a whole hundred dollars and, and it's not every Friday cause we missed some Fridays cause of vacation. So call it 50, 50 weeks. So that's $5,000. Yeah. That's nothing. Like we feed, we feed the entire electrical community once a week here at Vero Beach at 11 o'clock till the food runs out. It's different every single week, and um, usually it's something that somebody made themselves at home the night before and bring it in, so it's, like, personal, special. Right. Uh, it's a nice touch point, and, man, we, we're always busy right around 10.30 to noon. <laughs> people are waiting for it. Um, yeah. And it's it's become this, like like you said, a place where now this this contractor and can send his employees there to get the material but also know that, like, their employee only has to pay for food 80% of the week because 20% of it's CD's got you covered. Right. Um, there's, it's the whole like, if you want to be rich, just cut out the lattes thing. Like the math on that isn't very strong. Right. You know, if you save twenty bucks a week, it's not really going to make you a millionaire. <laughs> you know. No. Um, no. You really have to look at the top line revenue and the profit you're making on that, and and then look at some of the bigger expenses. Um, which unfortunately, I think our number one expense is in every PC is probably salary, right? Employee cost are probably the largest um right after that is probably going to be their credit card fee <laughs> yeah and those are those are three things that you really can't control i mean you can control your cost of your employees by getting rid of some right but very difficult to go to employees and say hey we're heading into a slowdown business is not so great so we're going to reduce your you know pay by 20 percent hmm. <clears throat> that may happen through profit sharing but if you're transparent enough you know that employee now either going to you know stick it out with you, knowing that on the other side of that you know slowdown, there's going to be opportunities to be had. Um, but just getting rid of people, just just get rid of people doesn't you know necessarily, like you say, pencil out. And again, this isn't a doom and gloom episode. Nobody knows <laughs> what's going on. This is this is all theoretical and just uh, you know I wanted to get the perspective of somebody that went through it, and maybe you could lend some light on like was there any talk of people you know, instead of losing employees or having to terminate employees over recession, like did people take pay cuts or obviously profit sharing, it comes out in the wash kind of a thing or. Right. Um, well, like I said, we, we, you know, we did a little something different in Santa Barbara and I, and I let everybody know what was going on. We all sat down and at that time, um, you know, I had two outside salesmen that were full commission mm-hmm. um, and ended up basically, I, you know, I just basically pulled all my employees and said, we don't have to do this if you don't want to, but, I said, I've done the math, and everybody takes a 10% salary cut. Everybody gets to keep their jobs. Wow. So, but I'm going to leave it up. I'm not going to make that decision myself, uh, but I'm going to leave that up to the group. And, you know, if, if we all feel that strongly enough about the people that we're working with, we want them all to have jobs, then either that or three people are going to be gone. You know, we have a choice. And so, you know, like I said, we lost two, but everybody ended up taking a 10% pay cut for about eight months. Wow. And then we were able to reinstate that back because the numbers were there um, and save all the employees that, you know, that were definitely worth having and saving. Um, and it was, a, it was a very interesting conversation at Forecast about doing that um, and, and why I did that. And um, the room was split. There were some people in the room who said, well, why would you why would you penalize your A players by giving them by making them take a pay cut? Yeah. You know, and, and, and we and not, you know, not just really penalize your C players. Or B players, 
And, you know, for me and my philosophy is like, we're all in the same boat. We're all paddling the same direction. Um, either we're all on board with something or we're not. And so when everybody agreed to it, even the A players, um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was forcing them to, but they knew that they needed that support team in order for them to be as good as they were. Yeah. So, um, but again, yeah, we've had, we had some pretty heated discussions in that, in that forecast of why Dan Byers made that decision at the end of the day. Um, I still stand by it. I still think it was a good decision to do. Um, I think it strengthened our team. Um, it made us, and, and we had the customer service. When our customers really needed us to be there, we were there. We weren't shorthanded. Yeah. Um, so I think it paid dividends. Was there pain for about 18 months overall to two years? Absolutely. We were still profitable. We weren't as profitable as we were in the past and not as profitable as we are today, but we weathered the storm and, you know, everybody still got some profit sharing and everybody was able to, you know, manage their finances and be okay. And now we're in a better position than we were before the, before the. That's amazing. I mean, I think that's something that, that hopefully I'd be in the, in the same mindset to do that when the opportunity or hopefully we don't have the opportunity to do that. But, yeah. but like if the situation presented itself, I hope that I would make that same decision because you know, you build this team. It's basically like, I don't like to use the term family, but it's like a sports team. Like everybody's on the same team. We're all, it's about as close to a family as you can get. Um, except sometimes, sometimes even better than family. I don't know, but depending, yeah. <laughs> depending on your situation. Um, but, uh, you know, just making sure that everybody sees it through and then you're not trying to time this, this up kick of, of when the economy does come back and try to hire employees like crazy. You already have the core people that were there in the and right. I think, you know, going back to the barbecue thing real quick and similar with employees, like that's something that the customer sees. Like if you start cutting employees, they see that. If you start closing locations around Florida, they'll hear that through the grapevine. If you stop doing the barbecues on Friday, first question is going to be why. And you say, oh, because the economy is bad. Like you're putting that out there into your marketplace and your customer's head that like you're worried. You're manifesting it. <laughs> you're, you're worried about it. And they're, they're going to yeah. go home and think like, wow, CED is like panicking about this a little bit. They're, they're taking away the pizza on Fridays. Um, right. it, it's just gonna, it's, it gives the wrong image. I mean, eventually at some point you have to make business decisions that make sense. Um, but I think it's important to really think about how those impact the customer and what they see and how, um, you know, how it's, in, how they see it from their perspective. I think if we right. just yanked the barbecues because the economy took a dip, they would, they would, that'd be the wrong message to send for sure. Yeah. And same with and the it, you know, it's interesting in every session or in a downturn of economy, whatever, whatever, you know, then when that does happen, I think it's also it kind of like cleans up every industry to some degree. Yeah. I mean, in 2005 and 2006, even 2004, at least in Santa Barbara, everybody was a real estate agent. Yeah. Everybody was selling and buying homes. I mean, you I mean, after that, I mean, the real estate agents in, in Santa Barbara were probably cut in half. So a lot of those guys weren't good at what they were doing. But right. There was such a demand for it that they got into the business and the same thing with electrical. I mean, there was a lot of electrical contractors that went out of business. Fortunately, not that we were doing business with because we knew that they weren't the people you wanted to be going to business with. Yeah. Um, but those guys ended up going out of business because they weren't good at what they did. Uh, whether it was managing their books and being in the field, they just weren't good electricians. Right. But before that, it's like, oh, I can't get a good electrician. I'll just take this hack over here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know, Johnny come lately. Um, and that's how those guys survived for many years was they, they, everybody else, all the good electricians were busy. So the mediocre ones to bad ones could get jobs, you know, and then the good guys would just fix up, clean their stuff up a year later. Right. Basically. And they're underbidding in the good guys and stuff. It just devalues the whole industry. Exactly. So we're, 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 you know, if this downturn happens, I think we'll, we'll be in a position to see those bad customers or 
you know, in, the, in every industry kind of fall away and leaving the cream of the crop or the better guys that you obviously want to do business with. Yeah. So, again, it's another opportunity for, for a PC manager to look at his books and look at his clientele and look what's out there, say, who's going to be able to survive this and who do I want to support to survive this? You know, it's a really good point. It's a really good so, point. Yeah, there's always a good opportunity in bad, you know, good, bad times or good times. There's always an opportunity to service the customer and, and strengthen your relationship. Well, and the, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it's a very uh, surprising amount of people became millionaires either during or as a direct result of the last recession. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's definitely opportunity to be had. There's there's market share to be gained. There's there's customers to pick up. There's whole new industries that get created because of it. Um, I think the gig economy that we see right now is a big result of that too, because in the research I was doing, one of the things was like how to personally survive the recession. And I want to go through some of these points too. And, and one of them was, um, you know, find a second gig, like find a, find a gig. And they said, it's never been easier since the last recession. There's so many opportunities to, to have a second job or to, to drive Uber or Lyft or, you know, what's that one? Um, where you can task grab it. You can, you can just, oh, task you, rabbit or you can just hire it. Door, door dash there's door dash or grub or grub hub or yeah. yeah and these are all things that you just activate when you have free time and you turn it off when you don't and it's just little gigs you can do to earn extra money um some of the other things these are personal things that you can do in your personal life just for people listening to um to kind of get ready for or start to be a better uh, better survivor of the economy and downturning and that's uh pay down debt is a big one so while the economy is doing well Make sure you're focusing on the things that charge the most interest and that have the uh, the highest you know amounts you're paying every month. Pay those down. Increase your monthly cash flow um, and savings. And that's the second one is boost your emergency savings. So you should have six months of all living expenses saved up in an account that uh, you don't touch. So six months of rent, six months of car payments, six months of fuel, food. food. <laughs> don't forget about food. Um, just six months and, and just stash that away somewhere. And you should do that before you start investing in other things, theoretically. Yeah. Um, start looking at ways to cut back in your daily budget, whether that is the four dollar lattes um, or whatever it is that you do, like above and beyond that. Uh, you don't have to start cutting them back right now, but just start identifying them. So it's really easy to just say, you know, close the faucet on those things once the economy turns negative, if the economy turns negative and or, you know, you get laid off or whatever. Um, and the last thing I think is really the most valuable is boost your value to your employer. So. Don't try to do that when the economy is like, you know, you turn on CNBC and they're saying the recession is here and the sky is falling and you, you start being like, hey, boss, what can I do to help out? Yeah. Like this is the time. Yeah. It's like it's like we all know in this business as managers, like like the month of January and February are just like you get the most work. Everybody shows up on time. They look proper. They're as helpful as they can be. And it's because profit sharing comes out and early March, you know, and it's the same thing with in this situation. Like if everyone's starting to feel the pressure that um, the economy is crashing and we may have to terminate positions, that's not the time to try to boost your value to your employer. It's it's try to do it all the time. Try to do it, you know, now when things are going well, like ask your boss, what can I do to help? What can I take off your plate? Um, hey, boss, I thought about this initiative or this project or this idea. Like just find ways that add value to the, the company overall, but also make your boss's job a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And the same goes for us in, in our <laughs> level. I mean, turn to your division manager and say, you know, my situation, hey, Mike, what can I do? To, what can I take off your plate? And um, what's what's an initiative that you've been struggling with and maybe I can help with? And I mean, that that's 
because we're not we're not immune to this as well. If we have oh, no. stores that are underperforming, they're going to be looking for other managers. Yep. <laughs> Just, There's a line of them out there. <laughs> that's just the way it works. Yeah, we got a ton of trainees. So. <laughs> well, it was interesting going back to that division meeting. We hadn't had a division meeting because we hadn't had a division in a while because of our situation out here. But I, it had been many, many, many years since I'd been to a division meeting like that. Um, and it was interesting to be the old guy in the room. Because <laughs> yeah. last, last time I was at a division meeting, I was a young guy in the room, you know. And so it was very interesting to look at the talent in that room, though. There was a lot of talent in that room, a lot of young talent yep. coming up. And we probably had 14, 15 management trainees there. Wow. You know, during the training program who just just were just soaking it all up and just couldn't wait to hear the next thing on the plague and you know, what was going to happen next and talk to that next manager because they were just, you know, taking it all in. And I think you learn so much during those times. You know, Epic's great, and doing all the stuff you do at the PC level is great, but we can get managers in the same room together and discuss things. We take so much away from that. And then, you know, again, I'm glad we're back into a division that's probably going to have more of those regularly. Yeah. Uh, not every six years, but maybe once a year. <laughs> uh, but it, it, for me, it, it helps out a lot, you know, because I get so much information from some of these younger managers. It's like, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. You know? You know, being, you know, 52 and another 13, 14 years left in the business, hopefully, and get out by 65 or 66. There's some wood behind you you can knock if you need to. Exactly. <laughs> but it's just also it's like, you know, there's always a fresh take on something. And when you've been doing it for as long as I have, you know, 30 some odd years, sometimes you just get too focused on the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. So being able to talk to guys like you, younger managers, even management trainees, it's like I would have I would have never gone down that road. You know, you know, but and then they, they look at you. Well, that's that's the most obvious road to go down. So, right. Like none of what you've been doing this for thirty two years. <laughs> yeah. You forget about other roads. You forget. You know. So so it's, for me, it's as a you know, senior manager, I would say, um, it's definitely helpful to be able to speak with younger managers, management trainees, and just get a different perspective on what business you can do in your business. I always come back pumped up from those meetings. Always, like I always come back with fresh ideas, fresh outlook, a couple of days off, you know, and and just. The camaraderie of our division is just amazing. We meet, uh, we meet, we have a spring meeting, we have a pre-forecast meeting, which is coming up, then we have forecast, then we have a vendor show, and then we have the cruise. Damn! <laughs> so, and the vendor show and the cruise are like the same thing. It's like a long weekend. It starts on Thursday and goes till Monday. Uh -huh. so the vendor show, and then it leads right to the cruise if the managers want to go and bring their spouses. And, and like, it's just... Like our division is so tight. Like you pick the phone and call anybody, and and just everyone's willing to help you. And um, there's no like there's no bad players like at all. Like everyone's really solid and wants to help and just yeah very service oriented and do anything they can and stop what they're doing to take ten minutes to talk to you about something. Like it's just I don't know. I'm my my boss Mike Spiro. He's built that. You know, it takes years, right. years and years to cultivate that and a lot a lot of effort and expense. Um, I remember we had those division meetings even when the economy wasn't going well. I mean, mm -hmm. certainly we weren't making the profit sharing we're making now, and I'm sure the divisions P&L reflected that as well. But um, we, he still thought it was important, if not even more so, to get those people together. And yeah, um, cause for yeah. the for the same reason as the barbecue thing, like if you cut yeah. that out, that's a really clear sign that like, hey, we don't think this is going well. <laughs> you know, <Right>. we are losing. <laughs> Let's just get everybody into the room and say, hey, we don't think this is going well. Who's got some opportunities? Who wants to help? Where, where can we go? Right. Versus just saying, hey, we're not going to have these meetings for a while until things get better. It's like, well, how are we going to make them better if we don't get together and talk about them? Yeah. Figure out solutions together. So, yeah, I've got to, I mean, the, I mean, 
we've we've got a very small district under Josh, but the other managers in some of the other locations, um, you know, I get to pick up the phone and call a lot, and they call me a lot. Yeah. So, but seeing it, you know, just having that face to face and sitting down and being able to, you know, tip a beer back or you know, and just be able to have those longer conversations, it's priceless. You know, we're very 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 good to have. How many locations in your division? So now there's five. That's it. So Santa Maria, there's two locations in Santa Maria, a CD and a CES, and then Bakersfield. Um, and then my office in Santa Barbara, Galita, and then Ventura. So six, actually. You That's can't, a really you can't Galita twice. So is that Josh's district or is that the division? That's Josh's district. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know when you yeah. go from district to division. It must be like a head count of maybe 12 APCs or more. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not privy to that information, but right now they're considered a, he's considered a district, yeah, uh, not a division. Um, so that's and maybe it's also because he's still got responsibility as a PC manager. Yeah, uh, that's a big factor. You know, that's a big That's a big. That's a lot of work, and you know, division managers do have a lot on their plates. We don't get this. We don't probably experience as much as they do um, from down to you know day to day stuff. But they're busy. They've got <laughs> they've got a lot of things they've got to, to you know translate down to us. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's the classic. Oh, my boss doesn't do anything because every time I see him, he's just hanging out. You know, every like it, that's so easy to say for from the, the person the, from the rung down. You know, like because when my boss comes right. here, he is kind of just hanging out. Like he's he's his job is to talk to people and get with them and and make show face and shake their hand and ask how things are going and and that may be their entire interaction with them. And they're like, well, he's not doing anything. Like that's an easy job. And it's like. Yeah, but every phone call that he gets is a tough phone call. <laughs> like no one's calling and be like, "Hey, Mike, I just had a great day today." It's like, no, this this you got to fire this employee or this forklift exploded and yeah, yeah. they're dealing with a lot of problems yeah. on a daily basis. It's not an easy job. Yeah, and the travel. I try to give Josh. I, I try to give Josh a good nugget at least once a week. Try to send him a little <laughs> note saying, "Hey, we get, we we had a great thing happen or whatever." It's like the new express lane thing that we're doing. That's that's all complete now. So I sent him. I think the same thing I sent you. Yeah. Hey, this is, is up and running, and our customers are really, you know, liking it and uh, you know, utilizing it. So I'm hoping that again, it'll be a, it's another service we provide that when things, you know, if they go tough, you know, then we have another service our competition doesn't, and that our customers are already used to using, and they're not going to give up. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, it's very hard to change behavior, and once you get them a customer onto a certain behavior. You got to keep it going. You can't be the one that disrupts the behavior that you work so hard to get them on, you know, and, th and that's, you can bring out new ideas and, and, and integrate that into it and make the behavior and the experience better. But it's really hard to just start yanking things away, um, especially services. They don't understand it. You know, like you say, it puts a sense of panic and um, even, even your employees, you know, it's like get a little sense of panic, you know, it's like, why well, we're not doing this anymore. We're not doing that anymore. We're not doing this anymore. Yeah. So, are there any indicators that you look for in the, in the overall economy that uh, you pay attention to? Everyone's talking about the inverted yield curve and the uh, confidence indexes, and you know we talked about employment statistics, things of that nature. Uh, average hours worked is a factor, um, right? I sit, you know, I keep, I keep doing the same things I always do. I look at permits being pulled, yeah, um, in Santa Barbara and Santa Barbara County in general, and you know, again, I'm not too concerned with what the permit's being pulled for as long as it's under construction and there's money associated with it right. you know that means people are spending um i look at our job hit rate you know how many times we're quoting the same job over and over again um you know so i would say in the last six months or even this year um our quoting of jobs has gone up 
we're quoting more jobs, but we're also quoting the same job more numerous times, hmm. which means that that particular job is either over budget or that guy's looking for a better price, you know? So when that starts seeing that, then it starts telling me, oh, you know, we better start preparing for something because we may have bid a job once or twice before it goes and it gets let. And now we're bidding it three or four times or five times before somebody actually lands it um, or it's getting VE'd several times. So people, you know, who are spending their money um, still looking for a good bargain, but I think are also a little bit, you know, not scared, but just a little bit more cautious. And so you aren't willing to jump in right away. And so we've got a backlog. It's nice, a nice big backlog, but it's been there longer than it should have. Hmm. Um, so, so I know people are sitting on projects waiting to see what happens, you know, whether it's a downturn or not, they just want to feel more comfortable, you know, starting that big project than they are right now. Anything you would have done differently looking back at uh, your, your experience going through the previous recession? Or yeah, I would probably would have bought more property. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, probably would have, would have borrowed, begged, yeah. took, my parents, take, take my parents' house, whatever. I, I probably, uh, now looking in hindsight, yeah. I mean, I, I bought our house, you know, before the recession it hit, you know, 2008. I bought it in 99. Uh, we got a great deal on it, but at that point, it was. I'm looking around, going, I should have, I should have figured out a way to invest in real estate or property in the Santa Barbara area, because it has gone nothing but up since then. Yeah. Obviously, and crazy um, amounts too. Yeah, and even you know, I know guys, who, people who didn't even have money were figuring out ways to get property, and you know, I don't. It, it, for me, it's just like I, I got two of my friends who basically at the age of 50 are retired because they figured out a way to get properties during the recession. Well, wasn't that part of the reason there was a recession was people were getting properties that didn't have money. <laughs> exactly. They were rolling up loans. They were, you know, doing things. The property values weren't, were being inflated and things of that nature. So when it just crashed as much as it did, um, you know, these guys had, you know, obviously had some family with money or whatever, but um, they were able to get into some, some properties at a smoking rate, you know, and, either flip them a couple years later when, when everything turned around or actually turn them into rentals. Yeah. Um, and you know, so, and you know, so, you know, they were, they were smart. They were in that business and they, they saw that opportunity and said, we, this is the opportunity we see and it may not, you know, give us the reward in six months, but it'll definitely give us a reward, reward in five to six years. Yeah. Um, and they weren't scared to take the chance, you know? Well, that's that. So, now they were both, they were both single. They weren't married and didn't have kids. So I think you're a little bit, you know, risk averse when you do have a wife and kids and a mortgage. Yeah. Um, but versus not. Um, yeah, if I was single and living by myself, um, I would probably be a lot more risky than some of the things that I do. That's Without the, a doubt. That's the classic uh, Warren Buffett quote is uh, buy when people are scared and, and don't buy when people are buying, you know. Be, be fearful yeah. when people are buying, I think is what it is. I totally butchered that. I apologize, Warren. I know he's listening. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I mean, basically, so that, go the opposite. Wise, I don't think I would have done anything different. Um, I mean, we were such we were so well established to begin with with our customers and our vendors. I think with that 2007, 2008, 2009 time period just strengthened our relationship with you know both the manufacturers, vendors, and the customers, um, and really strengthened my team. So you know, even though again we didn't we weren't as profitable as we have been in years in the past, um, you know, and, and we definitely saw a downturn in business. Um, I think it just did nothing but strengthen our position in the long run. 
Well, that's awesome. I think that's a perfect example of turning a problem that most people see as a problem in quotation marks into an opportunity to, to you know, you might have to spend a little bit less in your personal life, maybe go from three vacations to two or whatever it is, but uh, you're, you know you're going to get through it. And if you can find a way to strengthen those relationships on all sides of the counter, it's you're going to come out stronger than you went into it. And as long as you keep showing up and coming Absolutely. back and, and doing the hard thing and, and coming to work every day and don't close the location, you know, that's... Well, you know, just have those conversations with your customers. Talk about the potential of a downturn or a slight recession. Um, you know, not, not say you have to tell them you're super scared about it, but just, hey, get their thoughts on it. And what do they see? You know, do they see a big backlog? Do they have, you know, lots of good customers right now and are super busy and are looking for people? You know, what, you know, get their thoughts on things. It's on everybody's yeah. mind already. It's on everybody's mind. And I, yeah. I think it's a conversation that you can have with your customer. Um, you don't have to get super deep into it. You know, I've got a couple of customers. I talk with them all the time about this type of stuff. And um, they're very realistic. They're always planning to say, well, you know, like you say, you know, I, I plan for the best, prepare for the worst. And right now they're prepared for something happening. They, they are, their, biz, their businesses are in a good position. And um, if there is a downturn, they're, they're going to still come out the other side better. It's a beautiful thing. Yep. Well, Dan, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, definitely a topic that uh, everyone should be familiar with, but hopefully not spend too much time thinking about until they need to. Um, yeah. Like the title says, you know, in case of recession, break glass and listen to this. Exactly. <laughs> hopefully, it's one of those ones that, that you yeah. listen to and uh, and you put some you get some ideas for to grow your business even when things are going well and never need to use it. But yeah, really appreciate your insight, Dan. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. Bye.